Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. Over the last several tumultuous years, we have seen confidence in leadership erode due to scandals of various kinds. What do we need from leaders in order to rebuild that trust? This is Haley Gray Scott, host of Christian Curious, a show where we take a look at the questions daunting the Christian world in today's rapidly changing times. Over the last few weeks, I've been asking young adults to come alongside me as co-hosts, as I believe they have important perspectives that need to be heard. Joining me today in the co-host seat is Carla Valencia. Carla, I'm so glad you're here today. Can you tell listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So my name is Carla Valencia, and I'm a 22-year-old young adult that comes from Honduras. I moved here a year ago to Denver, and basically I wanted to study a master's in leadership, and my dream is to go and back and apply everything I learned in youth ministry. All right. So can I ask you, what is one thing that has surprised you most about living in America? Ooh, one thing that had surprised me most. I think it's just... Um, I think I had probably a little bit of a misconception about Americans, and I think I've been proven totally wrong. They're the best people ever, and I love them so much, and they have been so hospitable and just welcoming. So that's, that's cool. Been great. I'm glad that we're shattering those stereotypes. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you believe that trust is important for young adults. Why do you think that? I don't know. I think just... Probably trust for me is the basis of every relationship. And I think if leaders uh, don't aspire to be like, to have trust with young adults, then probably their relationship won't be as as the best it can be. Right. So I think it's just like, if in our relationship, I can like my leader, but it's a different thing if I like my leader and I trust my leader. That's so true. Yeah. The vulnerability is going to be different and the relationship is going to be different. Yeah, it's kind of hard to like a leader you don't trust, though, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. (laughs) Well, joining us today is um, Tim Kohler. He joined the faculty of Denver Seminary in 2017, and he serves as the Associate Dean of Program Innovation and Extension Education, as well as the Director of the Leadership Program. He earned his B.S. in Bible and M.A. in Ministry with a concentration in leadership from Lancaster Bible College, He's currently pursuing his Ph.D. in leadership from Capitol Seminary and Graduate School. He and his wife enjoy their two children, and they love exploring the world near and far. In his free time, Tim enjoys riding his mountain bike, reading, and motorcycling. That's surprising, Tim. Surprising, really? It is. I don't picture you that way. But that's that's (laughs) really... Anyway, that's... I've I've put on the academic persona. There you go. So you can kind of shed that when you get into the motorcycle world. (laughs) Or you could do the motorcycling, you know, with your suit on. I guess you could do that. That would be cool. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Christian Curious, Tim. Thank you for having me. Um, Our first question is, what do you think are the key elements of why young adults may have a difficult time trusting leaders? 
There certainly is a generational difference that we have to acknowledge. Culture has changed so rapidly in the last few decades, and we don't necessarily weigh that all the time because we see the world through the lens that we've inherited. And it's hard for us to take a step back and actually think about the things that have shaped us. We assume that the way I see the world is how everyone else sees the world. So we've got to recognize that the socioeconomic environment we've been in has shaped us. The specific uh, gender shapes how we understand the world around us. So it's a multifaceted construction of how we see the world. So someone who comes from Honduras sees the world very differently than someone who grew up in a middle-class white environment. Right. So being able to understand how those different things have shaped us is really tremendous. The same thing when I became a Christian at 16, it suddenly gave me a very different framework to view the world through. But if I'm not aware of how there's a difference between the 16-year-old nephew that I'm working with versus the 60-something employee that I'm working with, if I don't understand that they see the world differently, and if I don't turn a curious attention to that, it's going to be really challenging. So trust can be really challenging to establish when we blow right through assumptions and we don't state what feels obvious to us. Mm. It's a lot slower to have to state the obvious thing because we just assume, well, everyone sees it mm -hmm. that way. But that's not the case, and it's increasingly not the case, especially as the internet provides the opportunity for us to have a variety of subcultures. I mean, you can find the most random things on the internet, and you can invest tons of energy into things that really uh, are not the pervasive larger culture. So mm -hmm. all of these micro cultures that are happening can help uh, or can hinder our ability to build trust because we're not turning a curious attention to Carla, tell me more about what it was like to grow up in Honduras and what is that experience of a female in America now like for you? And if you don't turn a curious attention to it, you're going to operate with a ton of assumptions and you're not going to be able to build trust because you're going to be speaking a language that they don't understand. So it's really critical that we take a curious attention to whoever it is that we're working with so that we can begin to establish trust. Yeah, that seems to take a larger chunk of knowledge that we have to think about. Okay, so what we have to have a sort of generational knowledge and an understanding of broader culture, some of the the currents that are going through culture right now, and understanding from this perspective and their development what the world looks like. Yeah, and. Uh, why do you think trust is such an important element in leadership? When we think about leadership, we have to think about the way it's constructed. And there's research from the 1950s and 60s that talks about the basis of social power. So in 1959, uh, French and Raven, these two researchers, were looking at how do people gain influence? How do they gain power? So they came up with a construct that helped us understand it. When we think about how to establish trust and when we think about uh, why it's so important in leadership, we have to back up and recognize that in order for us to influence people effectively, we have to understand what base of power we appeal to in trying to convince them to do what we're asking them to do. So there's a legitimate form of power that we can appeal to. Like, I'm the boss, do as I say. There's a reward power that says, if you do this, you'll get this reward. There's a coercive power that says, do this or I'll punish you. There's a referent power where there's a perceived worthiness. Do this because if you do it, you'll become like me or you'll become like that particular person. There's a fifth form of power called expert power. Do this because I'm the expert in this particular field. It's going to go a lot better for you if you follow what I've said. And the final one, the sixth base of power, is information power. I have access to information. If you do this, I will give you access to more information. So when we think about 
how we build trust and why it's important in leadership. We have to understand that when we're trying to influence someone, we're appealing to one of those bases of power. So if we're constantly just saying, do this because I'm your boss and we appeal to a legitimate base of power, that will not always be received well, but we may not even be aware of that because our culture may have said, well, you just do what your boss says. You don't ask why. And yet we have younger generations that are trying to understand how the world is constructed. So they're far more interested in trying to understand how the world is operating. So they want to know why. Why would I behave this way? And when the culture changes so rapidly, it's really great to ask why. Because some of the assumptions about, like, for example, why Circuit City closed, I mean, there was a whole ton of assumptions that allowed them to close so unbelievably rapidly. They were not asking those great questions. So in order for us to uh, understand the function of leadership. We've got to understand the role of trust in that, and we have to understand power. So what power are we appealing to? And if we appeal to the wrong base of power with the wrong person, we're going to destroy trust. So if we don't have trust at all, if we fail to understand that, we are not going to be able to have influence because we're not going to be willing to do as the person is saying because we don't trust that they have the best interest in mind for us. We've got to be able to understand where they are, understand their goals, and then be able to appeal to those goals with the right base of power Mm -hmm. so that we are able to work together and move forward. You don't want to work with someone you don't trust. You know, as you're talking, I really do trust uh, my dad. But as you're talking, I was thinking about my relationship with my dad and the best way for him to get me to do something is to tell me not to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Or And the opposite, too, is, you know, if he told me not to do something, that's the best way to get me to do it. I mean, I just because he you know, you have to I wanted that. Why? I wanted to understand the why. And I think that's my favorite question. And it's it's very it's a it's a hard question to ask. It takes a lot of time to to figure out, Okay, how do I explain myself? How do I uh, communicate the reasons for my decisions? you know, on behalf, you know, thinking as a leader. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of the things that when we understand the biblical meta narrative, as we wrestle with that, we, we understand that the sin has impacted all of creation. And so one of the principles that we should operate with as leaders is the understanding and awareness that if sin has impacted all of creation, then we must look curiously upon all systems, structures, relationships, and even our own thinking to better understand where we are out of alignment with how things ought to be. So trust is something that is very easily violated. And the world is really shaped in a way where trust is going to be violated constantly. So if we don't come into these spaces and into these environments with an understanding that we ourselves have a brokenness that will come out and impact and destroy relationships, if we don't come in with that relation or with that awareness, we are going to make really bad decisions in those relationships. So the awareness that we are broken creates the possibility of us being open to change and hearing from the other person about what it would look like for us to be a more trustworthy person for them. Well, you know, I mean, if you just think about some of the, I would say, colossal leaders like Bill Hybels, Jerry Falwell, who have recently, you know, fallen from grace, you know, a way of saying it is, you know, there needs to be a degree of humility to accept your own brokenness because you can hide that brokenness and you can let it fester and let it become a secret and it just builds upon itself until it finally collapses. And so along with that brokenness 
comes a need for humility to recognize it. Absolutely. Chesterton talks about how pride is the engine of mediocrity. I think that's such a beautiful phrase. Mm -hmm. Pride is the engine of mediocrity. And John Dixon in his book, Humilitas, talks about how the, uh, the ability for us to be open to uh, change is what allows us to grow and flourish in a way that the prideful have no hope of doing because pride will insulate us from any opportunity to learn and grow. So humility's openness to our own brokenness and the reception of other people. Now, we also have to be careful because other people are also broken. So it's not just, well, this one person told me and therefore I'm going to change my entire life based on this one person's <laughs> view, but cultivating a community where we're able to gather feedback and hear feedback from legitimate sources. So developing a constellation of mentors where you can have a variety of trustworthy people speaking into your life is huge. Otherwise, we will just perpetuate our own brokenness onto the people in our like under our care. Yeah, I love the constellation of mentors. That's awesome. Carly, you have a question. Yeah, I think it was very interesting what you're talking about power. And I think um, Mary Kate in her book, Making mm -hmm. Room for Leadership, she was talking about how power without love is just like tyranny and just like, yeah, abuse of power. And I think it was very interesting what you said, like this like contrast on how you use power and how that like affects the level of trust. But now talking a little bit more about the approach to leadership, how do you think uh, a leader's approach to leadership affects the level of trust? Yeah, great question. If we have a perspective of leadership that says, you must do everything that I say because I have it perfectly figured out, you're going to draw in people who are always willing to unquestioningly submit to your authority and you create an echo chamber, a bunch of yes people. And I feel like that's what happens in a lot of these spaces where uh, the board that should have held that senior pastor accountable chose not to. They right. wanted to they wanted to manipulate that person. They wanted the acclaim and the fame of the organization and appealing to the brand of that organization more so than they cared about the righteousness of their particular leader. And it's insidious. It's hard to see that because you believe so much in the mission of the organization, we can very quickly forget that we should actually care about that person and their own righteousness, that the way that they're manipulating and abusing someone else is actually not good for them either. It's creating really unhealthy environments. So part of what we've got to be able to do is to be able to call people to righteousness. So rather than pursuing pragmatism and what's most effective, we've got to move at a slower pace and ask what's righteous? What does righteousness mm -hmm. look like in this environment? So when we think about uh, this whole space and, and wrestling with what it does it look like for us to establish trust, for us to be able to build those bridges and an approach to leadership in particular, the best way to view our understanding of leadership is that of being able to create and cultivate. I love Andy Crouch's material on culture making because he's argue, arguing that we should not be passive in our leadership. We shouldn't be waiting for other people to create things so that we can then critique it or condemn it or try to copy it, but that we can actually enter into the world and create things mm -hmm. that are beautiful and true and good and righteous. So rather than thinking we have everything figured out, just manage all of these tasks we can actually enter into the space with a, what I would call a holy imagination, that we can look at what we have in front of us and say, what can we construct out of this? And every time something changes, rather than lament, oh my word, things changed, we can enter into that with a curiosity that says, what does it look like for us to 
see the will of God in this particular circumstance. So Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can test and approve what God's will is. So a Christian leader enters into these spaces, not lamenting that change has happened, but with a curiosity of what is the will of God in this particular mm -hmm. circumstance? With this change, what now is possible? And those two postures are very different because one says, follow what I'm doing and say, do exactly as I say. And the other says, well, we've got this team of people what do you all see? What are you seeing and sensing in this environment? Let's enter into a time of prayer where we can discern what the will of God is in this particular circumstance. So rather than this one unique anointed person at the top, it's actually the creation of a community of people who are calling one another to righteousness and pursuing the will of God in whatever circumstance they're in. Which is in more accordance with Ephesians 4 and the giftedness of the body of Christ. You know, and we have talked several times about the on this show when we talk about leadership we go back to boards and accountability and the desire for you know Christ likeness and righteousness in those boards and how those boards become flawed you know um, for people outside the leadership world I mean the the word board of directors sounds so boring but it's actually the seat of power Mm -hmm. It's actually where decisions are made and a person is either, you know, promoted or they're hindered in their leadership. And that's the board is where the, a leader can be held accountable for their behavior and in doing so cause create trust among young adults if they're acting in accordance with, you know, righteousness. Yes, indeed. And one of the things that we fail to do is to do exactly what you're modeling is bringing in people that are of a younger age and allowing them to experience the world. But you also have the opportunity and to see through their eyes what is going mm -hmm. on in the world around us. So that's a, that takes humility to say, I don't have it all figured out. The world is changing and I'm a flawed human being. I need to hear your view. I need to hear your perspective on this. But we haven't been trained that way because a lot of our leadership material has been, you are the uniquely anointed leader. You need to show perfection, show confidence. And if you do that, people will follow you. But that's not what I'm seeing in the scriptures. The scriptures are calling us to a humility in community. Mm -hmm. And that takes a very different posture to the world. But if yeah. you do it, I believe that you are able to develop the healthy and righteous communities that allow trust to be developed and really significant things to be accomplished. Yeah, that's great. Carla? Yeah, and I was just thinking about also the atmosphere you were talking about, sitting down with your people and talking about specific topics. So what do you think is the atmosphere that a leader should create in order for this trust to yeah, be forming the followers as well? Yeah, absolutely. We have to cultivate environments where people feel safe to be able to be themselves and express themselves so that they don't feel like they have to hide. One of the things that I enjoy researching is emotional intelligence. And as we understand the role of emotion in leadership, we understand the construction of our brain. So how is our brain actually wired? So the three-part brain where you've got a brainstem, a limbic system, and then the prefrontal cortex. And if you understand how those things operate with one another, we're constantly monitoring our environment, constantly evaluating, am I safe in this space? And we don't consciously do that, but right now if a really loud noise happened or, the, or this building shook, we would no longer care at all what we're talking about. We would first go to, am I safe? Mm -hmm. And we're constantly evaluating that. 
So we need to be thoughtful about how we construct the physical environment that we're operating in. So if we're going to try to build a team of people, we have to be aware of what are the signs that are in that room? What does the furniture look like? And that doesn't mean that we need to bring in an interior designer for every single space that we're in, but we do need to be conscious of how will other people I'm bringing in feel in this space. But as people who kind of view ourselves as brains on sticks, where if we just cram enough information into our brain, Jesus will magically pop out. Uh, we have to recognize that the limbic system is actually what's operating and directing our attention. So we only think about things that we care about. So this is where scriptures uh, teaching us to, like Philippians 4, uh, to think on these particular things, these right, true, beautiful, and good things. Or 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take captive every thought. Or 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely. So as we think about this holistic view that scripture is calling us into, we've got to be aware of the, the environment we're in, the physical environment, and whether people feel safe. It also is the body language that we use when people are coming in. So being aware of our facial expressions, our body language. Zoom is a great thing. Now people are having to see themselves and how mm -hmm. they look in these environments. I haven't thought about it thing. that way, but that's true. Oh, come on. You know that you're just like looking at yourself. Well, I know that, but I haven't thought about everybody's looking at themselves and seeing how they are actually how they actually look to other people. Yeah, it's kind of like hearing your voice recorded which is horrid experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now everyone's being able to see those things. So we're more aware right now. And I think Zoom is a really beautiful opportunity because most people are in their own safe space. So we're seeing a really great opportunity to develop self-awareness and to develop a spatial awareness. But as we uh, go back into physical environments, we've got to be aware of, am I creating safe environments where people can be vulnerable and be honest? But if you're in a culture that says vulnerability, is going to destroy you. Do not be vulnerable. Show perfection. If we if we ha are in those environments, it's going to be really challenging for us to develop the types of atmospheres where you can have a team. Teams require vulnerability. Whenever you've experienced uh, big T trauma or little T trauma or any form of oppression, it opens up spaces of empathy in you where you're able to empathize with other people's pain, even if it's not your own. So being able, again, to recognize how pervasive sin is and how it impacts all of creation and even our own thinking allows us the opportunity to build spaces where more people feel safe and more people can develop and more people can flourish. Because a lot of people become leaders not because they're great at working with other people. They become leaders because they outperform the people around them. But that's not what scripture is calling us to. It's not to outperform your team. It's to develop a team where they can flourish. Right. You know, the, the whole atmosphere is really a give and take. It's not just about the leader. So what do leaders need from young adults in particular to be able to create that atmosphere of safety and trust? That's a great question. We must be gracious with one another. When we recognize that how we see the world is also a flawed perspective and that we only have a piece of the puzzle, we need to be gracious to the people that are leading us. They're imperfect people as well. And if we expect them to be perfect, that's going to be dangerous. It also is dangerous to just unquestioningly do as they say. I mean, that's the spaces mm -hmm. that lead to the boards that are not uh, holding their people accountable. But we've got to be gracious with those people and allow them space to grow that they need to grow and develop as well. There's also got to be a courage that when things are not going the way that, that you want them to go, that you have that constellation of mentors, people who are not in that space. You don't want to turn around and start gossiping about the leaders above you, but you do need spaces that you can call someone and say, 
you know me, you know I'm working in this space or I'm volunteering in this space. This is what happened in that environment. This is what I'm thinking about this. Can you help me process this? So being able to do that in a way that you're not gossiping about the, the leader above you is a really critical component to it so that you can come into that space and offer your critique, perhaps not in a uh, large group environment, but maybe one-on-one. -on -one. You can send them, send them a message saying, I would really like to talk with you about what happened on Tuesday. I would love to debrief that. And hopefully the leader is willing to respond to that and give you the opportunity to speak your mind on what happened in that circumstance. And they might give you information that you're unaware of. Like that leader above you has information about other parts that you're completely unaware of. And they may be making decisions you don't agree with, not because they're vindictive or mean or ignorant, but because they have access to information that you in your position within the organization simply don't have. So we've gotta be gracious with them and also turn not a judgmental view, but a, a curious view. What is going on in this space? What might I not know? So being able to go in with humility, to be courageous at the right times and hold people accountable when their brokenness is pervasive and is negatively, like seriously hurting other people, you've gotta have the courage to stand up in those spaces and be an advocate for the people on your team or for yourself at times. But we've gotta go in with uh, the posture of humility and grace as the default. Right, so I mean, you can't just automatically assume that, you know, I think sometimes in Christian leadership, there's an assumption that this is the divinely appointed leader and I can't question them. But, and then if you do see something, then the tendency is to kind of whisper to someone on your own level, social level, and just spread that gossip. But that's definitely not something you want to do. And it's much better just to go to the leader and hopefully they are receptive to that. Absolutely. And if they're not again and again and again, if they're refusing to acknowledge any uh, brokenness or anything that is negative, or maybe it's not the way it could be, if they're unwilling to have those conversations, then that is a pretty significant signal. There's a, there's a great book coming out uh, next month by Dr. Wade Mullen, where he's talking about uh, the impression management strategies that evangelicals have used to cover over wrongdoing. So uh, definitely check out Dr. Mullen's new book that comes out next month. What's the name of it? I actually can't remember. So I think it's called Something's Not Right. Something's Not Right. Wade Mullins. Wade okay. Mullen, yes. Well, trust is such an important element today. I mean, we have a dearth of leadership in our country and sometimes in our in our local churches, in our parachurch organizations, and it's more important than ever that we consider young adults like Carla and how that they're gonna grow up and how are they how can we be good models for them as they step into leadership roles as well. Tim, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Carla, thank you so much for bringing your questions and your thoughts. Thank you. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott. Reach out anytime with questions or comments to Haley at hgscott.com. That's H-A-L-E-E -E at hgscott.com. Stay curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E -E at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.